Good evening, everyone. Uh, nice to see you all here once again. Uh, so we're continuing our study tonight of the book of Deuteronomy, verse by verse. Um, so I took a little bit of a break last week for the concert. I don't know if any of you guys attended that, but I heard it uh, went real well. So it was kind of fun just to see a little bit of a change of gears here, a chance for us to continue worshiping God and uh, seeing Him glorified in kind of different ways than what we normally do on Wednesday night. But I am glad to be back here, excited to open up God's Word again this evening. Uh, so as you remember, uh, the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' final address to the people of Israel. This is uh, Moses' last words to the people before he dies, passes on the leadership. He's preparing them not only for a change in leadership, but also for a change in lifestyle and a different phase of their relationship with God under the covenant he had made with them. Israel's preparing to go in to make war, to conquer the land God had promised to them, and after that, to settle into the land that he was giving them, to transition from this, migrate, this migratory style of living, uh, kind of moving around, to a settled style of living in the land God was giving to them. Again, this covers a lot of the same material we've seen overall, but Moses is reminding the people of Israel of everything that has happened to them. He's reminding them of God's faithfulness to them, of what God had brought them through, of the lessons God had taught them along the way, and of his faithfulness to the people of Israel. So we've seen God work and do many great things. We've seen the people of Israel reminded of many of these great things. Uh, we talked about just the importance of loving God with all that we have and all that we do. Uh, we see how seriously God takes sin, how seriously God deals with sin and how he approaches it. And we've been reminded of God's faithfulness through the ups and downs, of God's faithfulness in all situations, that God can be trusted in good times, that in hard times God can be trusted, that we need to be thankful to God in all situations and in all times. And we need to worship him and remember his faithfulness to us. So our focus point this evening, kind of the concept we're going to dial in on, is that God blesses and forgives people because of his character, because of who he is, not because of anything that we could do to deserve that. Uh, just a great reminder that the same God we're reading about here in Deuteronomy is the God that we worship this evening. Uh, that this is the same Lord dealing with the people of Israel. He desires that same relationship with people and he has that same character that we're seeing evidenced throughout this book. Uh, so as we read this passage tonight, keep an eye on just what it's showing us about who God is, about what God desires and about how God relates to people. So we're picking up in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 1. It starts out, Hear, O Israel, you were to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven, 
a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. So Moses is again reminding the people of Israel of the God they serve. That only God could accomplish the work that's about to happen. Uh, that as he speaks of today, not you know, necessarily today as in the day they were talking, but as this time frame, today when they go over the Jordan River and make war on the nations, he reminds them, these are nations stronger and mightier than the people of Israel. That they have fortified cities, that the people are tall and strong. That there's a reason these people hadn't been conquered yet. And God is telling the people of Israel, you can't do it. These people are stronger than you. They have better fortifications than you. They will not be able to be defeated by you on your own. But he wants them to remember one thing, that they can't do this on their own. But he says in verse 3, Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. And so the people of Israel can have hope and they can move forward in confidence because God is going before them. That God will go in their way, it says, as a consuming fire. Uh, they had witnessed this power of God, this consuming fire already before. They had seen God literally consume people in fire because of their sinfulness. They'd seen the power and the might of God firsthand both because of their sins and they had seen God's wrath poured out on their enemies, on their behalf. And so God is reminding them that this is why they can move forward. This is why they will be able to conquer this land and defeat these people because God is going before them and God is powerful. Continues on in verse 3, it says, He will destroy them and subdue them before you, that God will do this. And so the people of Israel can hold on to this promise that even though they're going up against people that are stronger and mightier than they are, it says that God is going to subdue them, that God will give them victory. And so because the people of Israel have this promise, they can have this confidence in God because of that, their role it says right after that, it says, so you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. And so God promises to fight for the people of Israel. He promises to give them victory that they could not attain on their own. And their role in that is to move forward and take hold of that. that God's not going to simply hand it to them, but God has guaranteed their success. So they can trust in Him because of that. They can trust in God's promises. And that's such a big theme we see in Deuteronomy is that God can be trusted. God has made promises and God will be faithful to his promises. God will fulfill what he has said he will do for his people. Verse 4 
It says, do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So he's reminding them they can't do this on their own. There's no other explanation for what's going to happen except for God. They're not strong enough. They're not good enough to do this. And then he tells them here that after this has happened, that they're not to say in their hearts that it's because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. In our last sermon, we talked a fair bit about a similar concept, that it's easy when blessings come to focus on the blessings and to forget God, to think, look at this great stuff I've done, that I'm good enough, I'm strong enough to accomplish these things, to do these things, to meet these goals. We're reminded that God gives all good things, that any success we experience is because of God. And so this is kind of the same concept, but taken from a little bit different direction. That after the people of Israel dwell in the land, that after they're settled and they have success, he's telling them to not think that they have this success, they have this blessing, because they were good enough. Instead of forgetting God, he's warning them against being prideful, being self-righteous, and thinking that they have accomplished this because God did it for them, but that God gave it to them because they were deserving. And so he's going to continue to tell them throughout the remainder of this chapter why they're not deserving, that God is not doing this because they are righteous enough, or they are good enough, or they are obedient enough. God is going to give this land, it says, to punish the wicked people who dwelled there. Uh, the, the, the people who lived in Canaan at that time were just an abhorrent society before the Lord. They were, in many ways, the pinnacle of evil before God. And because of that, he was sending the nation of Israel to wipe them out in punishment. So that was the first part, that God is giving this land to the people of Israel to punish the Canaanites and then it says in verse 5 that God is driving them out from before you and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So God is giving this land to the people of Israel not because they deserve it, but because he wants to punish the wicked people dwelling there and God is going to be faithful to the promise he had given to their ancestors that God was planning to do this to show his faithfulness, that God would be true to what he had said. And continues on in verse 6. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. 
Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made themselves a metal image. So God is reminding the people he's not doing this because they deserve it, that they're not receiving this because of their righteousness. And his first example, the first reminder he gives them is what happened at Mount Sinai. Uh, So he recaps the events there, that while Moses was on the top of the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, the words of the covenant God was making with the people of Israel, that while that was going on, they decided to cast this golden calf and bow down in worship to it. That in the midst of this act God was doing, to confirm his relationship with, with the people of Israel, to affirm the love he had for them, to show the plans he had for them. In the middle of this, they had already turned away from him and gone after false idols in worship, acting in disobedience to the God that was at that very time trying to build that relationship with them. And so he's reminding them of their failure to obey. He talks about how they're a stubborn people. I'm sure we can't think of anyone we know who's stubborn, stuck in their ways. Um, In verse 7, he says, To remember and not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. And we see that over and over again as the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness, that they would test God, they would provoke God, they would go against what he had told them. I think about uh, the work I do, uh, working here at the church with, with youth, um, also my, my other job, coaching at a high school. You know, a lot of the time, one of the kids will come up to me and say, hey, so-and-so, you know, did this, did that, made me mad, did something you know, to me. And usually my response, I'm half joking, but usually kind of serious with it as well. Did you deserve it? You know, they threw something at me. Okay, what did you do? Did you deserve that? Were you provoking them? And a lot of the time, when you hear that one side of the story, there's something more going on there. And this is what the people of Israel were doing to God. They were provoking him. They were testing him. That he had given them these clear guidelines and expectations. And they would go the other way. And they would stray from what God had told them he wanted to see from them. From what he desired from them. They would stray from what God had told them was best for them. That they were quick to forget what he had done and to go the opposite direction. 
I think about just the events going on here that God is reminding them of, that they were so disobedient at such a sensitive time um, that God was giving them the law. He was initiating this special relationship with them. And at the same time, they're off worshiping other gods. As we continue our study through the Old Testament, we'll see uh, many times, many places, scriptures use idolatry. They explain it with the analogy of unfaithfulness in a marital relationship. That's the kind of pain it brings to God when his people stray away from him and go worship other things. And that's what Israel had done here at Mount Sinai when God was giving them Ten Commandments. And they continued to do further on as they wandered in the wilderness. Continuing on in verse 13, we see Moses' response to Israel's idolatry here. Again, this is something we saw in the book of Exodus, recapped here. It says, Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I have seen this people, and it is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain was burning with fire. And the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my hands and broke them before your eyes. Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before, forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed, in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you, so that he was ready to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. And the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Then I took the sinful thing, the calf that you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it very small until it was as fine as dust. And I threw the dust of it into the brook that ran down from the mountain. So we see Moses' response to this situation as the leader of the people of Israel. We see his frustration and sorrow. We see him pleading on behalf of the people, interceding for them because of their sin. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on. But it's interesting to note the gravity of sin. Uh, We saw, again, just that example of unfaithfulness in a marital relationship. Uh, We see here in verse 16, Moses says, He looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. And usually when we sin, we're not thinking of sin in those kind of terms. We're thinking, this looks like something I want. This will satisfy me. This will make me happy. This will vindicate me, whatever it may be. We're thinking about ourselves. But it's important to remember that sin is personal to God. Reminds me of David's words in Psalm 51, uh, when he's repenting of his adulterous affair, of his murder of Uriah. He says to God that against you and you alone I have sinned. 
that he realizes he has violated that personal relationship with God, that he has caused that kind of pain to the God that he loves and worships by his selfishness, by his choices, by his forgetfulness of how easy it is to stray from the ways of God. It's interesting to look at how God deals with Aaron here too. It says in verse 20 that the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. If we remember uh, the narrative from Exodus, that while Moses was up on the mountain speaking with God, receiving the covenant, receiving the Ten Commandments, that he left Aaron in charge of the people down at the bottom of the mountain. And Aaron was the one who kind of led them through this idolatrous failure, that he set up the mold and cast the gold into the calf that they would worship. He led the people through this idolatry, and God was furious with him, that Aaron was supposed to be Moses' right-hand man. He was supposed to be leading the people out of the idolatrous land of Egypt and into this special, unique relationship with God. And instead, he was leading them in idolatry. And so God was so angry with him that he was ready to destroy him, to end his life right then and there. So it says that Moses prayed for Aaron at the same time. And it's interesting we think about the rest of Aaron's life, that Aaron had so infuriated God that God was ready to finish his life, to end it right there. But God was patient with Aaron, that Moses interceded with God, prayed to God on Aaron's behalf. And God not only spared Aaron's life, he gave Aaron another chance. That Aaron, later on, was the first priest of the people of Israel. That he was the one who would lead the people of Israel in worship to God the way God desired them to worship him. That God redeemed Aaron in spite of his sinfulness and idolatry here. That he was willing to forgive him, to give him another chance and another opportunity to lead the people in right worship instead of leading them in false worship of idols. What a great God. And it's also interesting to think about the interactions they're having here. That God is reminding people that they are not able to conquer the land of Israel on their own, that he's going to help them do it. He's not doing it because they deserve it. He wants them to be humble and to remember their past failures. And then he reminds them of these failures, that they had strayed from what God had told them, they had worshipped false gods and engaged in immorality. Why was God punishing the people of Canaan? Why was he casting them out and having the people of Israel drive them out and giving them their land? Because they worshiped false gods. They engaged in immorality. They did not worship the one true God. God is reminding the people of Israel that they need to trust him. They need to remember what God has saved them from. And they need to remember that without God, they're not that different from the people they think they're better than. The people of Israel would be tempted to become proud and think that they were righteous enough to deserve these things. And God is reminding them that that's not the case at all. That it's only because of God's grace and his mercy that they're doing this. That they could not deserve this. They have not deserved this. 
Verse 22. At Taborah also, and at Massa, and at Kibroth Hatavah, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and take possession of the land that I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and did not believe him or obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. So God reminds the people of Israel they don't deserve this. They're not that different from the pagan people around them, except for God's grace that he's showing them. And it reminds them that not only did they fail at Mount Sinai with the golden calf, that wasn't an isolated incident, but there were other incidents throughout their wanderings in the wilderness where they provoked God and brought his wrath upon themselves. He talks about Taborah. This is a place where they complained to the Lord and God called down fire from heaven to punish some of them. That they did not trust God. They complained about the way he was leading them, about what he was doing, and they were punished because of it. He reminds them of the incident at Massa or Meribah where they had no water and they complained against God. We're told they tested God there and God was displeased with them because of the events there as well. Talks about the events at Kibroth Hatavah. This is where the Israelites complained about God's miraculous provision of food, that they were wandering through the wilderness without anything to eat. God was providing for them every day with manna from heaven, and they didn't like it. They wanted to have a wider variety of foods. They remembered the food they had in Egypt and said they should go back there, that they wished they had the foods they had there. And so God sent quail to provide for them, uh, to give them this change they so desired. But God also was displeased with these complaints and punished them because of it. So he's reminding them of the ways they had strayed from God's plan, the ways they had displeased God, and also the events, the punishment they had brought upon themselves by not trusting God, by not believing God, by not obeying God. Now, it's really kind of the, the main point of what they had been doing there. It says in verse 24, they have been rebellious against the Lord from the day I knew you that this wasn't unique, that there's nothing special they had done to earn God's favor, that they were rebels against God, but he still loved them. He still showed them grace and mercy and provided for them and was going to bless them in this land despite their continued rebellion against him. So the people of Israel could not conquer the promised land on their own. They could only do it with God's help. God's reminding them that it's not because of their righteousness, but because of his mercy that they're able to conquer the promised land with his help. But they have to remember how easily they were led away from God and be careful to follow after him with that. And he continues on in verse 25. This is Moses kind of stepping back again to talk about his response to the people's idolatry, to their unfaithfulness to God. Verse 25, So I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights, because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. 
Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. For they are your people and your heritage, whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. So this is how Moses deals with the people's rebellion, with their idolatry, with their false worship. That Moses is grieved by this. Moses is appalled by this. He's angered by it. He sees these people violating God's holiness and the special relationship God had initiated with them. And his response, it says in verse 25, is to lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights. That God had told Moses he was going to destroy the people of Israel. He said that he had had enough of their disobedience, that he would wipe out the nation and start over again building a new people group with Moses' offspring. And Moses' response is to get down on his face before God and plead on behalf of these people, to plead with God to forgive them, to be patient with them, to not destroy them, to not give the people what they deserved because of their sinfulness. Moses is making an appeal in this case to God's character. He's not telling him to gloss over their sinfulness, that it wasn't that big a deal. He's asking God to forgive them because of who God is and because of what God had done for them already. Uh, He's asking God to remember his promise to his servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to forget the wickedness of the people, to remember the promises God had made to this people, and also to think of how this would be seen by the people around them. That God would be most glorified by being faithful to his promise and caring for this people, even though they didn't deserve it. And it's interesting, as we read through the scriptures, Uh, There's some different themes and ideas we see pop up that are carried forward throughout the Bible. Um, We see a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that should make us think about Christ, that should point us forward to Christ, to remember the great plan God has to redeem mankind from their sinfulness. So as we look through this, we see a little glimpse of Jesus in Moses' actions here. We see a man who was faithful to God, who was not deserving the punishment of the people he was identified with. We see this man spend 40 days alone in the wilderness. We see this man pleading with God, interceding on behalf of a wicked people that was not obeying God, that he was stepping into the gap, that he wanted to be the intercessor between God and man pleading with God to forgive this people and to give them grace. It's just a great picture for us to think about what God has done for us. That we are so much like the people of Israel, that we're quick to forget God's faithfulness to us. We're quick to forget the sins God has redeemed us from. 
And we're quick to turn and follow after the whims and desires of our own hearts. And Jesus, in the midst of that, stepped into this problem. He stepped into our lives, even though he didn't deserve the punishment that we should have seen. That he was willing to intercede on our behalf with God and to bear that punishment on our behalf. What a great God we serve. And so that brings us to our application point. We kind of mix things up a little bit the way the slides are here tonight. Uh, But God chooses who to show mercy to, that he shows people mercy and grace, not because of what they deserve, but because of who he is, because he is God, because he has chosen to show love to people, to remind us of who he is, that he is a great God. And so our response to that is to remember God's grace in order to maintain humility. That God is urging the people of Israel here to remember the grace he had shown them, to remember the sin he had brought them out of so that they wouldn't become proud and boastful, that they wouldn't become self-righteous in their dealings with the rest of the world and think that God was with them because of something they had earned. But they're to remember that God was with them because God loves them. And that should be enough. And so for us today, it's important to remember that God is with us. God has shown grace to us, not because we're deserving, not because we are good enough or we are obedient enough that we are righteous, that apart from God, we are completely unrighteous, that even our best deeds are as filthy rags before God, it says in Isaiah. So we have to remember what God has redeemed us from, that we're freed from our sins and from our past. But it's important to not forget God's grace that he has shown us as we move forward in life. And that's the best way that we can stay humble and not be drawn into prideful forgetfulness, is remembering who God is and what God has done for us. That we deserve death and separation from God, but instead he has given us life, an abundant life at that. I'm going to ask Mark to go ahead and come back here, close us in worship. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Father, for your love to us. I thank you for the examples you've given us in your word. I thank you for the example we saw here tonight in the book of Deuteronomy, Lord, uh, that you are a good God, that you are a kind God, Lord. I thank you that you have shown us love and mercy even in the midst of our sins when we didn't deserve it, when we are fleeing from you, that you stepped into our lives, Lord, took on flesh and bore the penalty that we deserved for our sins. I pray that you would help us to remember that faithfulness and that love, to keep us humble, Lord, that we would remember that we are wholly reliant on you for all things, Lord, that all good things are from you and because of you, Lord. I pray that we would worship you all the more because of that. We praise you for all these things. We ask that you would be with us as we go from here, that you would be glorified in our lives. In your son's name.